0: Good morning, folks. I hope you had a great Tuesday evening. Looks like we're set for another beautiful day here on Wednesday, February 21st. We've got a great show lined up for you today. In the 12 o'clock hour, we'll visit with Lieutenant Colonel Daniel Daniel Davis, Senior Fellow and Military Expert, Defense Priorities. We've all heard about what's going on with the Russians, the possibility of them putting up some type of uh, nuclear-type weaponry in space. And what that will do to the satellite structure in space or what, I mean, is it capable of doing anything at the present time? We'll dig deep on that with Lieutenant Colonel Daniel Davis and what the implications are as well. In the 1130, um, back half of the 11 o'clock hour, Michael Heck joins us. We'll talk about good news from around the area, a lot of what's going on in the economy. We'll talk some about what's happening up in Baton Rouge as well. And coming out on the 11 o'clock hour, Allison Hotard, incoming executive director at the Young Leadership Council. Uh, they are not. Nonprofit, nonpartisan civic organization that fosters leadership through community projects. We'll talk about the platform that she has uh, coming up for this year, and we'll also talk about some of the events that they will be putting on. Sheriff Joe Lepinto joins us at ten thirty this morning, and we'll talk about. Concealed handgun permits, juvenile crime, some of the other issues uh, that's going on in his second extraordinary session of the Louisiana State Legislature, otherwise known as the crime session, uh, and what his thoughts are on uh, what is happening in Baton Rouge. A lot going on, um, breaking news this morning, the Biden administration is going to wipe out Another $1.2 billion worth of student loan debt for nearly 153,000 people. This repayment program, otherwise known as SAVE, Saving on a Valuable Education, is for borrowers who have been repaying student debt for at least 10 years and their debt was $12,000 or less. Yeah, let me say that again. They've been paying for at least 10 years, And the debt that they took out was $12,000 or less in student debt. This program is designed to forgive um, these loans in the hopes of particularly helping community college and other borrowers with smaller loans and put uh, many back on the track of being free of student debt faster than ever before, the White House said. Now, Biden has already engaged in about two dozen or so executive actions, and he has wiped out, hold on to your seat, $138 billion of student loan debt for about 3.9 million borrowers over the course of the first three years of his term. And the Biden Education Department continues to try and create Exotic schemes to forgive more debt, even though the Supreme Court had beat back one of uh, the plans that he had under the HEROES Act, where uh, Chief Justice John Roberts, writing for the majority, said that, you know, Congress has to speak on this issue before a, a secretary to a department can unilaterally alter large sections of the American economy. Now, Biden, the constitutional, brilliant lawyer that he is, says that um, the court misinterpreted the Constitution, and they'll use every tool at their disposal to get your student debt relief you need so that you can reach your dreams. Well, what about all the other debt that people have? Should we have that same concern uh, for them as well, uh, so that they can reach their dreams that they're burdened with? How about SBA loans? for small businesses? Are we going to set out on a track to forgive SBA loans, especially those that found themselves having to do so in the aftermath of some catastrophic event that they had no control over? Why aren't we working in in that space? Why just this space? Well, the reason why just this space is that they know that there's a high confidence level that these folks would end up voting for the Biden administration. And in fact, in order to make sure that, Our students in America today will absolutely connect the dots because there's some concern that they're not going to connect the dot to Joe Biden. So, what they intend to do is send an email to everybody from Joe Biden. Congratulations, all or a portion of your federal student loan will be forgiven. Because you qualify for early loan forgiveness under my administration's save plan. I hope this relief gives you a little more breathing room, Joe Biden. Now, if this doesn't smack of trying to gain political leverage with your tax dollars, I don't know what does. But it's obvious that over the coming months, we are going to see billions and billions more dollars of loan forgiveness for folks that borrowed money to go to school. And we're not even clear whether or not they even need this assistance. Just because they've made payments for a long period of time, some people don't make more than the minimum payment. You make the minimum payment, it's going to be longer. And they they don't do so ever. But it's not because they're down and out. They just figure low interest rate, I'm not going to pay it back. I'll just carry this out. It's a small amount of money. I'll just keep paying it. It's no problem. Well, now everybody's going to do that in the hopes of their student loan being paid off. The longer you hold on, the better off you're going to be. In fact, it's going to be interesting to see how many people... Move from having doubled up on payments or paying a little bit more than what they were supposed to to going back to the very minimum payment in the hopes that their student debt be wiped out. And the highest likelihood of that happening is between now and August. So hold on because you will see hundreds of thousands of other student loan borrowers and another several billions of dollars that are going to end up being forgiven by this administration in the hopes of being able to convince them that Joe Biden is the best thing since sliced bread. And the only way that we are able to sh- make sure that we are going to get these individuals to vote for him and vote for the uh, the Biden-Harris ticket is we got to bribe them. we got to bribe him. And we're going to make a no bones about it. And we're going to put it in an email so that they completely understand you can thank me. So let's connect that dot. You can thank me. I have made your life easier by exercising any number of executive actions in order to get to where I want to get. It's amazing how creative this president can be relative to executive actions when it's something that he really wants to do. But when it's something that he's not certain that he wants to do and he's been being put in a political corner by some on the left, the majority on the right, he uh, screams at the top of his lungs that Congress needs to do something in order for him to do something. He's buying time. He's playing the House and the Senate in the hopes that they do nothing and therefore get people to believe that he as well can do nothing also. Now, that may change. There's some rumblings out there that there's some things that the Biden administration is thinking about doing by executive action. Because guess what? The you and cry in the streets are getting too loud, too much. And it's coming too fast. And it's coming at a really bad time because the polls continue to reveal that he is so upside down on this issue that many within his inner circle are saying we may have to rethink this strategy. We may have to throw some crumbs out there to try and beat back the pace that this issue is turning people off across the country. And we see it in two different areas. We see it at the southern border, and we see it in his chilling of the relationship with Israel. And now they have uh, Netanyahu that's making statements that we're going to the bitter end. We are going to go until we defeat Hamas, till Hamas no longer exists. No matter where they hide, whether that's under a school, a hospital, or, other, or any other place, they are responsible for collateral damage, not Israel. They are because they choose to put their own people at risk. And if that's the choices that they want to make, then consequences will be had. But we're not going to put ourselves at risk because they choose to put the population that they allegedly represent at risk. In this chilling, you're going to see it more and more because uh, Representative Rashida Tlaib from Michigan the other day has basically said to her fellow Democrats, her fellow Palestinians, her fellow Arabs, we will not vote for Joe Biden in the primary in Michigan. We are not doing it. We need to send the message loud and clear of what we hope to accomplish. So this fracture, much like the southern border, and the the the, the remedy that they have is wiping out student loan to try and equalize all of this in the end politically. It's, it's an interesting set of math tables as to how The mood of the public is going to move. But I can promise you there will be billions of dollars more forgiven with federal student loan. There is no doubt about it. And unless and until somebody stops them in the court, they will continue to forgive all of these loans. But what about all the new borrowers? Is there a guarantee for them? Why should the others benefit in the new borrowers that are borrowing under the same plan, under the same terms and conditions, and in some cases even worse? What about them? Is there an expectation that their debt's going to be forgiven as well? Let's go to Josh and Metairie. Josh, what say you?
1: Thanks for taking my call, Newell. Love the show. Um, Not too well-versed on all of it, but I just wanted to call. I wanted to hear your opinion on... Uh, when it comes to student debt, I was reading an article. I think it's anywhere from, like, 79 to 83% of all the debt is actually owed by people that never finish college. So basically we're just giving all these people – not to say that finishing college means anything nowadays, but we're giving all these people who are uneducated all their money back, and then we're just going to give them all these free handouts. And I appreciate you pointing that out. Um, also, just one more thing, you know. I took a loan out for a car about 10 years ago. Do you think I'm going to get my money back, uh, Newell? Do you, you think that's well, going to happen
0: or, or no? No, I, I, I wouldn't hold your breath on, on that. And, and But that's the <laughs> irony here, right? I mean, the car is every bit as important to your employment, your life, what you do, the ability to sustain yourself. I mean, even when you look at the tax code, if you're a W-2 employee as opposed to a 1099 employee, um, or someone that's getting a K-1, they get the benefit of riding their car off, right, for the purposes of their business. Because you're a W-2 employee in this country, this car that's every bit as important from a business perspective as it is over here, you get nothing. You get nada, right? Yep. And, and, but it, but the, but the, and it's amazing how we, we treat this as, as, as it relates to how you uh, receive your compensation, and a lot of this holds true relative to the student loan debt as opposed to all other debt. They went in with their eyes wide open, many of whom chose to go to colleges that were probably intellectually out of their reach, right? And some got there on on programs and plans and this and that and everything else, and they realized they were in over their head. Or they didn't have the level of commitment that they needed to have in order to succeed, And now we, as taxpayers, are being asked to bail them out for a bad decision that they made in the first right, or there were circumstances that they may have been presented in their family that are outside of their control. But we're not evaluating any of that. We're just wholesale forgiving loans across the board based on assumptions that this is going to make their life easier. And I guess that this was a bad deal, but wink, wink. we we got more people coming on right now with bad deals. You had a question? No.
1: Yeah, brother. Sorry about that. I didn't know if I was off. Um, what is to stop a twenty-year-old right now who wasn't, you know, thinking about college? What's the stop a twenty-year-old to say, you know what? I'm going to take out a loan for college. I'm not even going to go to class. I'm going to take all that money, and I'm just going to go spend it, and hopefully in 10 years I get, you know, this taken care of. Who's to stop these kids from doing that? And then also I want to point out most of these people that are getting relieved of this, all this money, all, all these student loans, these aren't 45 to 55-year-olds. These are 32, these are 28, these are 24-year-old people. These are people that are voting. These are people that are reproducing and having children that are also going to make more votes from this. And I, I just think it's just going to, you know, I love it how you eloquently pointed out every day, and I just love the show. Uh, I'll let you continue with the show, but I got one more thing about the Palestine uh, Israel thing. They all need Jesus, Newell. Have a good one, man. All
0: right. Let's go to Gail. Gail, you're up. Welcome to the show.
2: Hi, Newell. Um, I've been listening to WWL for uh, almost my entire life. I am over a senior citizen. And I just want to say, having put uh, three grandchildren through college uh, with their parents at didn't have the ability to do so, and loans that were difficult because one was divorced, one father didn't want to participate and help his daughter, our granddaughter. So, you know, you're presenting a case that is really unbalanced, and you're throwing everyone in the same pot, which really doesn't hold true. And if some of these kids are getting... A how, load, how, wait, 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 uh,
0: Gail, how, how am I doing that?
2: Because, because I'm, you're, I made the statement. Loan, I made the statement that they're... Please let but me but, speak. Please let me but, speak. But Gail, yeah, let, let me. a Long time. Please let me speak. You throw in all of these kids under the same blanket, and it simply is not fair. They are. They're getting twelve thousand dollars, or whatever. How much interest have they paid on those loans? Has it been equal to? Has it been less? Of? You know. The bigger issue in this country. What different? What we difference are does that make? To educate our children, and if you want to talk about taxes, talk about Trump giving all of his billionaires, millionaires, tax breaks, so that a lot of these young people are having to struggle more and more in this economy. Blame it on Trump. Blame it on the tax-free loans that he gave his buddies. You know, I you knew. Today, this morning, I'm listening to you's most uncharitable comments that you have ever made. And I'm frankly very disappointed in you. You can have the mic back.
0: Well, thank you, Gail. I appreciate that because you were obviously not listening to what I had to say because what I said was – is that the Biden administration did not look at the underlying conditions of the loan and and determining whether or not the individuals that they were forgiving the loans for were, in fact, in necessitous circumstances, which is what I said. And I said, they're just wholesale forgiving these loans in a way that I think is very, very dangerous. And... Look, life's not fair. Life is not fair. And I understand the situation of what you're talking about, and I understand that uh, you're frustrated with the conditions that you find yourselves in. But how does that become every other taxpayer in this country's problem? You may not like it, what I have to say, But the fact of the matter is people went in with their eyes wide open and choosing to borrow money. And with that comes an obligation to prioritize one's spend in life. I didn't even qualify for a student loan. I had to take out a second mortgage on my parents' home to pay for uh, some of my education because I was working. But I never shirked the responsibility of paying back the loan, $404.10 a month for 10 years. Because I was smart enough to save money to go to law school and paid for the first two years of law school in cash because I worked. I worked full-time, and I paid my my whole ride in college. Why? Because I worked. Why? Why? because I knew my parents could not afford to send me to college, and if I was going to be able to go to college, I was going to have to sacrifice and work full-time and go to school 11 years part-time at night. You know what that is? I'm not trying to sing my praises, and I'm not trying to get anybody to feel sorry for me. That is an exercise of prioritization and understanding the obligations in life. And a lot of times when you cannot afford it, in the same way and fashion as other people do, you have to modify your expectations and, de- and deal with your own personal prioritization so that it makes sense for you economically. What doesn't make sense for me economically is that I am burdened with everyone else's lack of prioritization and decision-making. And I don't think that's fair. We'll be right back. Welcome back, folks. There's a lot going on in Baton Rouge as we are in the second extraordinary session uh, related to crime uh, this time around. And joining us is Sheriff Joe Lapinto, the sheriff for Jefferson Parish. Sheriff, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Noel. You don't don't have to yell at me, Joe. It's okay.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, to be honest with you, I literally just got in the car, and I heard the yelling, and I'm like, what am I walking into?
0: (laughs) It's okay. Joe, there there are a couple of bills dealing with juvenile crime. I mean, I know there's a lot of frustration out in uh, the community at large as it relates to um, kind of what I have said is a star chamber. It's hard to find out anything that's going on there. Uh, The quality of the juvenile um, offender today is a little bit different than it was 10, 12, 15 years ago. And I know that you're seeing it out on the streets every day in Jefferson Parish. Tell us about it.
3: No, no, that's an understatement. I mean, I've never seen it as bad as it is right now and and the youngest of age. I mean, we had uh, just two days ago, we had a stolen vehicle. Uh, pursuit with a stolen vehicle, end up wrecking two of our police cars, uh, get everybody in custody. And it's a 14 year old driver, a 14, a 13 and a 12 year old passenger. And then I have another one where it was an armed robbery of a, or attempted armed robbery of a vehicle. And, uh, person ended up firing a gun at the, at the victim, uh, fled in another vehicle, but we were able to get some DNA. And sure enough, we had a, we got a DNA match and the DNA match ended up being on a 12 year old. And I'm thinking to myself, how in the world Sorry. do we have a 12-year-old in the system already, right? And and come to find out, it was another armed robbery when the same kid was 11, was on probation, you know, for, for that, that previous armed robbery. So, you know, you're looking at a 12-year-old for an attempted armed robbery here in Jefferson Parish that, that's already been arrested for an armed robbery in, in Orleans Parish. And at, at 12, what, what do you do with these situations, right? And And the system is just not made— for the violence of offenders that we're getting at the the young age that we are, you know, and 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 it really was exacerbated. And look, for good or bad, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna be honest with you. Age is a number to me from the standpoint of whether the age should be 17 or 18. But the system was not built for the influx of 17 year olds when they changed the age. Right. And and it doesn't right. necessarily mean it can't be 18, but you need to beef up the, the juvenile system as a whole because you just made them get older by an arbitrary legislative act. But they're getting younger and younger every single day.
0: Joe, um, I think we use the word system very loosely when it comes to the juvenile uh, perspective, because every A lot of what's done in Orleans is done vastly different in Jefferson, and each one of these uh juvenile districts kind of gets to pick and choose how they're going to address stuff. You have an eleven year old that's out on probation for uh an armed robbery that now is in Jefferson parish i mean it's got to be frustrating that we don't have one standardized assessment tool. And that if X, then Y, if you pull an armed robbery, these are the things that have to be done, um, you know, while under juvenile jurisdiction. And there seems to be no consistency uh, throughout these um, juvenile districts
3: no well, and the consistency changes not only from district but it also changes from individuals let's face it we we'll never have a perfect system because everybody's everybody's different right i mean there's a there's a big difference between this 12 year old that that's committing the second armed robbery with the gun and the person that was in the car with them that's still getting the armed robbery charge right and so i think mm-hmm. i think you have to have discretion in the system the problem is is the discretion really doesn't exist on the back end. It's always on the front end from the judge. And so the judge is trying to make a judgment call at a moment in time when you got a guilty plea or a guilty verdict, and not necessarily of what is this kid or what is this adult going to look like in five years, 10 years, or 50 years, right? Uh, I mean, an armed, robbery, an armed robbery for an adult in Louisiana is 10 years to 99. So if you give a kid 10 years, and he's horrible in prison, but he's still getting out after 10 years or before that with good time and all the rest of it, right? And and they get out, and now they're still bad. So you, the next person you give 99 years, and he's the model inmate that should have got out after 10 or 20. But there's no eligibility for that parole on the, on the violent offense until a certain amount of time or whatever the case may be. But but you're still not going to have that eligibility. And so where's the where's the middle? And I don't know the answer to that. I wish we had better – front end services because what we do in louisiana a lot of is we give people chance after chance after chance and then we put them away for a long period of time and and then we're stuck paying for that person a long period of time we have we may have done some better things on the front end we wouldn't have got to that long period of time on the back end
0: when we add 10 years of a potential sentence to a crime and we increase it by 10 uh, What's your gut tell you that the impact of that is? I mean, there are those that are saying that's going to reduce crime.
3: Uh, you know, I,
0: I don't know about you, but I haven't come in contact with many offenders that can even tell me how much how much time they could get for a charge, well, much less I have it that influence way. their behavior.
3: Yeah, and I don't think that's the case. I think what happens is, you know, by, by just the math, right, if you're looking at, a, say, a 50 percent recidivism rate, and it depends on what type of crime, you know, obviously property crimes are a more high recidivism rate than, than violent crimes because violent crimes, you, they normally do a longer period of time and they age themselves out of the game. But if you look at just a 50 percent recidivism rate, that means 50 percent of the people get out and don't do anything else. So if you charge them all and you give them all a longer term, you're paying for the 50% that wouldn't have recidivated, but you're paying for them to be in, in jail for a lot longer period of time. On the, on the front end, I mean, on the back end of that, if you did it to everybody and you gave them an extra 10 years, that 50% of that population that would not be prone to recidivate may not be back in your system anymore because they're still stuck in jail. So you're right. you're incapacitating that group. So, the math can work of we're going to lower the crime rate by putting everybody in jail for a lot longer. The problem is, is you're locking up a whole lot of people that don't necessarily need to be locked up for as long as they are. And you're taking resources away from the individuals that do. And and so it's not an easy answer. You know, I mean, I, I served in the legislature for nine years. I was, you know, I, I handled some criminal justice reform measures while I was there. Uh, but there isn't an easy answer from it because we don't know the mindset of each individual. On their level, you know, and nor do we have a crystal ball to know who's going to offend or who's not going to offend.
0: Joe, I often hear that um, alternatives to incarceration are cheaper than incarceration. I don't, my experience, I don't necessarily believe that. Uh, I've seen programs that are robust around the country that are done appropriately with uh degreed individuals running these programs and and it's stable, it's uh, systemic uh, comprehensive and my my thought is is that when I look at those programs they're not cheaper than education yeah. but the the return on your investment is far greater. Would you agree or disagree?
3: Uh, I completely agree with that I mean let, let's face it, I think the state pays the uh, state pays our local facility right now twenty four dollars a day there's no way that you can implement any type of program for $24 a day it cost it costs a lot more than $24 a day to put a kid through school what what do you think a prison is going to do trying to put a person through school right and and $24 a day is just not the case by any means so anybody that tells you it's cheaper it's not the case it may have a better outcome but it's certainly not cheaper
0: yeah and and the i think we're holding what about half of the doc inmates and in local jails today
3: overall i mean as you know in jefferson parish that that number is a lot less um, cause just,
0: yeah. because well, y'all don't y'all don't hold them y'all just waiting to
3: transfer them right we're just waiting to transfer them all right uh, so you although you have people that are in our facility that have to be moved on uh we're not housing them on purpose uh you know for a for a per diem that we're trying to get but yes uh the state doesn't have enough state beds um you know, statewide, and so about half the population is housed in local jails, uh, which end up making that small per diem to house them, but they're housed in local jails. But there's no incentive for those local jails to offer programs or do anything at the rate that the state is paying. So it's been an issue that the Sheriff's Association has fought for because I think some sheriffs would like to do it, uh, would 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 see a better outcome from it, right? Um, but, if, but if you're not getting the well, I think the, the, the vast majority
0: from- would. I, think I, I don't asking.
3: disagree. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the if the um, if the funds were there or the funds were allocated, I think you'd have a lot of them step up into that position and, and you can move some prisoners around to the, the facilities that would really embrace that. Uh, but at the current rate, there's just really no way to make that a, a sensible solution for a local taxpayer.
0: So what happens to those in the local jails? I mean, the governor in his address to the legislature was pointing out that we need job training. We need, you know, uh, to have provide the ability to earn a GED and and all of this. But if you don't have that uh, available to 50 percent, I mean, how how do you how do you deal with that issue?
3: Well, it's not necessarily let's let's. So let's let's look at a state facility that has a GED program that's going to rotate in through about every three months. So you'll have inmates that rotate to, you know, a facility for a GED, but then move back to a local jail. So so the population is not necessarily 50 percent. The issue that you come in is. If a person is doing such a short time in jail, let's say they get a year sentence of, of state time, that by the time they get transferred, moved, and credit for good time, they don't have enough time to even complete a GED or much less put in for the the transfer to a state facility because they're doing so a short-time basis, right? And that's why you kind of need it everywhere. Uh, I won't say it's 50% that don't don't have it that's because right. – The longer-termers have the ability to move from place to place to go get this program, go get this program. So if you're looking to try to get parole, there are programs available, but you've got to be um, aggressive enough to try to move and bounce from place to place that are allowing those things. But, look, in a perfect world, you would have these programs available at all state facilities or local facilities that are housing state prisoners. and and have the opportunity to make that happen. Um, But we just, you know, right now, there's just no way to to make that happen, uh, again, with the current rate that's in place.
0: Yeah. We got to get to a break. We're visiting with Sheriff Joe Lapinto, the uh, sheriff of Jefferson Parish. We'll be right back, folks. Stay with us. Welcome back, folks. We are visiting with Joe Lapinto, Jefferson Parish Sheriff. Joe, uh, 27 other states have created a constitutional right to carry. Um, the governor has put this in his call. The legislature is considering it. Your thoughts?
3: You know, I've, I've gone to the different realm, I guess, over the years. Um, I, I can't say it's a Smartest idea in the world when I look at the 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 shooting that we had at the gun store several years ago, uh, what I look at it is as if it's I think you have the right to constitutionally have a gun. The problem is that i that I don't like about it is when you have to use that gun, you want as much training as you've ever had before to be able to articulate why you had to use that gun right on the opposite end, most people don't ever carry a gun and don't ever have to use it. And so it's not really that big of a risk. And so the sheriff's association in the past used to be against it. A lot of your rural sheriffs are kind of in favor of it, um, you know. But but put yourself in the city of New Orleans in the French Quarter. I think they took 140 or so guns off the street, you know, just during Mardi Gras. Out of that, about 40 of them were felony charges. That means there was 100 misdemeanor um, concealed carried of a firearm on on the streets in the city and in the city and in the French Quarter, right? And so I don't know what the legislature is going to do about those particular situations. Are they going to create larger zones, uh, you know, for Mardi Gras during periods, you know, to try to keep that gun violence down, or if they're just going to kind of make it a free-for-all? I'm not necessarily opposed to the constitutional carry, uh, but I know as a being a law enforcement agency that, you know, when people have to use their gun, uh, the training and the articulation of why is something that's very important to be able to do so. And I see that going down in certain situations. But again, they're still rare. Most of the time, a bad guy with a gun is going to be stopped with a good guy with a gun. And I don't care if they wear a badge or they don't wear a badge. And so, so I'm, I'm okay having the help of the, of the good guy with a gun. Uh, but, but it does come with some consequences that we have to realize the other day.
0: Yeah. Um, anytime you have a bill or, or a new law that's passed, and then you, have, you, you know immediately upon its passage that you're going to have to start creating exceptions, like what you said about not knowing what they're going to do. Can you have that concealed hand, handgun on a parade route? Can you have it within 300 feet of a school? Can it be in an ABO outlet? alcohol beverage outlet and when you start creating these exceptions like that um, my perspective is always uh, it was probably not the most sound law in the first place if you are already know in advance you got to create all kinds of exceptions your thoughts
3: yeah, I mean, look, it's never perfect. I don't think it's the end of the world. I just said what, 27, 23 other states have already passed it. It's not going to change overnight, and it's not like we're going to have all kind of bloodshed. That's there. You're going to have situations where it works. You're going to have situations where it doesn't work. Um, I, I don't, I don't try to get into those. It's, it's about the law of averages, you know. From it, uh, it's not a scenario where I think I, I, I can control it all. Uh, let's face it, police are reactionary. We, we can't be the protector of everybody at every moment in time. There's just not enough of us to be everybody's bodyguard. We're reactionary to a crime, and our job is to solve the crime to prevent the next one from happening. And so I I, I believe in somebody's the ability to defend themselves. Uh, I truly do believe in that. I just don't know. When I look at it as my wife. You know, my wife would always say, okay, I want to carry. But she'd never want to go to the training. I wouldn't say she'd never want to, but she never made time to go to the training, right? And right. so now as a person that has guns, that carries guns often, you don't need a permit. So you say, you know what, you're going into the city often. I want you to put this gun in your car or put this gun in your purse. And that gun's in a purse. And now they're encountered with a scenario where, you know, persons – you know, coming after them, they think they're getting carjacked. They don't know what it is. They end up pulling a gun. They shoot because they get scared, whatever the case may be. And come to find out, it ends up being the homeless man that's there in that parking lot every single day begging for money. It was no carjacking. But that was the perception of the person that was there at that moment in time. The problem is, is you may not be able to justify that. Now I've got somebody's wife that's going to jail because the husband decided you don't need a permit anymore. Put this gun in your purse right? And so I, 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 I always advocate for that training. Some people are easier and understand and have grown up around weapons and, and, and can handle themselves better than others. And, and I think you've got bad consequences that, that will happen. Not often, but they will.
0: Procedurally out on the street under patrol, if the, you have the potential of someone carrying in their waistband in a concealed fashion, what changes for officers uh, you know, on the what everyone refers to as the routine traffic stop. There's nothing routine about it. But
3: what you changes? Know, well, generally, generally speaking, if you've got a person's that got a concealed handgun permit, they're going to be the first ones to say, hey, I have a gun. that's in my waistband. And, and, the, and the response from the officer is, OK, you mind if I remove it or you just keep yours there and I'll keep mine right here. And it's not a big deal. If the person's telling me about it, I'm okay with that. Right. Uh, You know, they're they're obviously not trying to get by with me. They're telling me it's there. And so so that's that's not the 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 big deal. Now, when it becomes a scenario that anybody can carry concealed, you hope that they will still communicate that with the officer. But you look, I'm still going to err on the side of caution. If I have the ability, yep. if I'm countering somebody, I'm still going to do a pat down if I believe that they have a gun on them. Whether or not, yep. whether or not I have the ability to make an arrest. No, I won't have the ability to make a arrest, but doesn't mean I have the ability not to make the scene safe. And and so making the scene safe is one thing; making an arrest is a different story. And look, a a, a simple and
0: you know you know as well as I, a number of members of the public are going to be upset about that, and and that's going to be it'll be a PR nightmare. But everybody's going to err on the side of safety, right? Hello.
3: The sheriff's office deserve to be able to go home to their family. Uh, You know, that's something that's there. Uh, You know, you don't want to you don't want to encounter it then you don't have to carry it but but the reality of it is is it's not like people carry every day we're not running around trying to stop yep. everybody that carries a gun yeah, we we're against- i apologize
0: joe i got to get out we run out of time thank you so much for joining us uh we'll have you back on to, to have a further discussion about this thank you so much for joining us we'll be right back Thanks. Folks. Thanks. folks when we come back we'll visit with allison hotard incoming executive director at the young leadership council and michael heck in the back half of the 11 o'clock hour so So stay with us. This is Newell on WWL.